this time on this day that I get to say it's time for Plan B. Hello, Rebecca Davis. Hello, John Matham. Yeah, unfortunately, though, uh, a pretty grim story to start with. And I actually hadn't thought of it in that way until your email pointed me to thinking about it in that way. Yesterday, the minister in the presidency said that the number of deaths linked to last week's unrest was up to 276. How is it possible that we know so little about how these people died? Indeed. That is my question, John. And if you think of it, more and more aspects of what happened last week are looking mysterious. We were told with a fair degree of certainty about these 12 insurrectionists. 12 insurrectionists who were responsible for what was called an insurrection. Since then, we have seen none of them, zero, arrested. Instead, we have seen people arrested for incitement of violence, which is a very different crime. There's been no suggestion that any of the people arrested thus far, including the notorious former DJ Mkunu, are actually responsible for insurrecting, per se, treasonous activities. They're just responsible, supposedly, allegedly, for whipping up violence. So where then are these insurrectionists? We saw the sportsman Stafikile Mbalula under pressure from BBC in hard talk last night, under pressure to say, who are these insurrectionists? Eventually just babbling, Carl Niehaus. Carl Niehaus now threatening to sue him. I mean, I don't think any of us believe that Carl Niehaus is behind an insurrection to bring down the state. So what is going on here? What Was that yet another sort of attempt by the country's intelligence services to make out as if they have more control of the situation than they do? And if not, produce these insurrectionists. Produce them and let them be charged with treason. It was, it was, it was given as such a, you know, a fait accompli, John, that these people were known. In fact, that was the phrase that was used. We know who they are. We're going to disrupt their network. Well, we don't know who they are at all still. And then there's the question of the deaths. As I said, 276 people died in two of our provinces last week. And we have been given only the most fleeting and general of details about how this actually happened. We're told 10 people died in a stampede here. Oh, seven bodies were found there. It has been up to the media line. Yeah, 22 people died in Phoenix. Uh, the circumstances of those deaths, not entirely certain. That's the kind of thing that we've been given, yeah. It has been up to the media to spotlight a few deaths here and there, which they have been doing. My own media outlet, Daily Maverick, as well as others. Um, there's been, you know, a 14-year-old child here. I mean, really tragic cases all over the show. But there's still absolutely no general idea of what happened. I mean, when the Marikana massacre happened, it was rightly taken as an absolute national tragedy and, you know, full-scale investigation carried out. And that was a fraction of the people who died here. Well, there could be another Marikana buried in these figures, and we just don't know about it. SAPS has been absolutely no help. I've been trying this week to get more details and receiving no support from the police at all. So I will continue and other journalists will continue to try and painstakingly and very frustratingly unpick who these 276 people are, because otherwise the risk is that we simply move on with our lives. And what makes it even more um, galling, I think, John, is that, you know, they know the president knows and has told us exactly what points of infrastructure and buildings have been destroyed. 160 of this kind of mall and 60 of liquor stores, etc. Well, that's fine. But, you know, lives 
there are lives at stake here, lives that we are allowing just to blink and pass on in a number. And 276 is a large number anywhere in this world. That would be a massive, massive tragedy and a need for explanations, urgent explanations. And I think we need to call for those, John. Yeah, uh, I, I think Becky Clearly has said that he's proud of the fact that none of the deaths are the result of police action. I don't know that he can be certain about that, but if he if he knows or believes that to be true to a reasonable degree of certainty, then surely he should some, have some idea of how they were killed, if not by police. I mean, I'm just consulting the spreadsheet I've been working on here, John, and I can tell you that there's at least one person who seems to have been killed by police action, which was a 15-year-old boy, shot by rubber bullets of police outside the Southgate Spa in Peter Maritzburg. So I wonder how reliable the information Becky Taylor himself even has. All right. And then on to the new space race, or maybe (laughs) it's not a space race because it's been decided and dead heated. There are only two people arrogant and wealthy enough to go into suborbital space, Bezos and Branson, and they've both done it. They have both done, and Elon Musk, we assume, will at some point follow them up there. And why can't they all just stay there? I think most of us feel. However, they do come back. My question was, did Jeff Bezos experience the overview effect, an emotional state available only to those who breathe the rarefied air up in our atmosphere? It's this phenomenon experienced by people who view Earth from space, John. And this is how it was described, I love this, by Apollo 14 astronaut, Edgar Mitchell, I'm quoting, you develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world, a compulsion to do something about it. From out there on the moon, international politics looks so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck, drag him a quarter of a million miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bleep. I mean, that just makes it sound like such a consciousness-raising exercise. You want to stick the whole National Assembly on a rocket out to space. So Jeff Bezos did indeed step onto the edge of space. Did he experience the overview effect? It appears he did, John, because he came back and he said, when you get up there and you see it, you see how tiny it is, how fragile it is. And then he continued, we need to take all heavy industry, all polluting industry, and move it into space. That was the transformative effect that the strip to space had on the world's richest person. He suggested we take everything that's making a mess on Earth and move it into space. Now, at the risk of stating the obvious, John, the possibility of moving all our polluting industries into space is zero, basically. I mean, it's a nonsensical idea, getting raw materials like cement up to space making things there, transporting them back. But as many people have pointed out, isn't it also just the perfect response from an out-of-touch billionaire who comes back and thinks, oh, Earth is actually very pretty. It would be nice to keep it like that. Let's send all the ugly stuff up to space and presumably all the people who would have to labor there. Well, I will lie on Earth in my pool eating grapes while the space miners keep at work. This is also a man whose one-day delivery policy of his own company, Amazon, is believed to be contributing to the climate crisis we find ourselves in. Siberia, John, let me remind you, is a breezy 30 degrees at the moment, a balmy 30 degrees in Siberia, partly because of the actions of billionaires like Jeff Bezos, who then says, let's actually move that stuff to space. I mean... 
You can't make it up. I have, uh, I think there, I think only two astronauts I have spoken to at some length on the radio, Chris Hadfield and Linda Godwin. And I do recall that both conversations were filled with a genuine profundity, a genuine mm-hmm. sense of people who had done something which changed them in a meaningful way and considerably for the better, that it gave them a perspective which not doing what they did do would not have given them. I was, I, I just, I remember that both of those interviews with a great deal of pressure. You like the Olympics, do you, Rebecca Davis? John, I think I'm one of the only people on earth who's genuinely excited for the Olympics tomorrow. Are you? Well, the Olympics started yesterday. What do you mean, the Olympics tomorrow? Oh, well, the Olympics opening ceremony is tomorrow. That's what I mean. The official, let's go. And the so director's been sacked at the very last minute. Everyone's been sacked on. Everyone associated with the opening ceremony practically has had to resign because they said something offensive. One said something offensive about fat women. One said something offensive about the Holocaust. The other one said something offensive about people with mental disabilities. The whole thing is cursed, John. This whole this whole sporting event is cursed. We had softball players out in rural Fukushima, which you might recall has been devastated by a nuclear disaster in 2011. They're just dodging these radioactive bores and hoping to avoid a brown bear, which has been on the rampage there. We have half the athletes developing COVID already, those whom are going. I mean, we're already seeing a kind of limited pool of athletes actually attending compared to what we might hope to in normal times. The, the Olympic opening ceremony is going to take place to 950 people, and including 15 global leaders, most of whom it seems are there only to discuss vaccines with each other. It just seems the most convenient meeting place. And yet, Don, I cannot deny it. I feel a thrill of excitement. Finally, something to take our minds off what is happening here. I'm excited have you, about... Have you seen the video of um, the Australian politician mansplaining to a female member of the Brisbane Olympics Committee? I was just... I just saw a headline about it, John. I haven't oh. had the pleasure. Okay. Well, it, it's not well, a pleasure, but it, it, will, it will work you up with righteous indignation, as it should. So. I'm sure it will, John. And yet, and yet... I maintain the Olympics. What a good time for us all. I'm excited for the opening ceremony, which seems like it's just going to be, I don't know, robots and drones and some weird lights in the air. I'm excited to see how these weird new sports are going to play out, John. Skateboarding, surfing, climbing. I'm particularly excited about climbing. I think climbing could be a wonderful spectator sport. Apparently, they're going to have two climbers going at it at the same time. And they'll also have a technical event, John. That sounds like a good time. The skateboarding, there's some 12-year-old who might win the whole thing. I mean, all of this will just be a wonderful celebration of the human spirit and <laughs> endurance at a time when, frankly, we need it more than ever. Bring on the Olympics as long as ESCOM allows us to watch it. Oh, I wish I could be as excited as you. I'll try and make myself so, but for the moment, I am not Rebecca Davis. Thank you very much. I'm John Matham, not as excited as Rebecca Davis with Plan B.